Today's scripture reading comes from Isaiah 9, 1-7. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into the contempt in the, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the later time he has made glorious the ways of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle turmoil and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the shoulder throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Thank you, Lenya. All right, we continue in our series, The Unfolding Mystery. Uh, let's ask God to bless his word among us today. Father, thank you for your promise to be faithful to all that you have revealed. We pray, Lord, that you will bring uh, this word to us in a way that is personable, is practical. Uh, is touching where we really live. And I pray, Lord, that you would move, move among us that we could, in a, in a further way, further along our understanding of, of your Son and uh, increase our delight in him. We thank you for being such a good father to us, that you have sent uh, the greatest gift to us. Uh, we are marveling at him because you have also sent the Holy Spirit to us to teach us, guide us, and comfort us. And so be among us, Lord. We would be honored in Christ's name. Amen. And I don't know if he's still around or how popular he is. Is Dr. Phil still going? I'm a little out of touch with talk shows and on TV stuff right these days. But uh, Dr. Phil's famous line, when he would be dealing with people in conflict... Someone's struggling. What was his famous line? Does anyone know? Yeah, good shot, Richard Grable. Very good. All right. How's that working for you? Yeah. And, uh, and then he'd always do kind of a commercial thing, say, hey, folks, we'll be right back, and I'm going to help them get, get this together here or something, right? And he'd always give us the great confidence that, that he could, in, in a short 60-minute period of time, he could solve this thing. He could bring these folks together. He could get them to understand the futility of their ways. Isn't that right? Yeah. And a lot of, there, are, there are a lot of uh, attempts out there to, uh, to get your agenda, to, to, to work the things you want to work in life. And it doesn't work, right? So the futility is real, and, but we try to avoid honesty. And um, it's hard to admit that your personal resources have dried up, isn't it? It's hard for me. To admit that. 
Americans in particular have always liked the idea of, of sort of buying something that, that is a sort of a kit. Get your, get your life together. Take control of your life. I don't know if they sell it as a kit, but, you know, sort of three easy payments. And, but there's some, something about Americans that we believe that a weekend seminar will fix everything, Right? We believe that uh, a book, a popular book on Amazon, is, is going to do it, you know. And um, what, something about us that we're susceptible to, to sort of gimmicky kind of things, and we, we try lots of things. Um, we really do try lots of things. We have clever plans. And um, it's hard to admit that these things didn't work. True change comes about when we are no longer pretending. True change comes about when we are now are no longer self-governing. We have turned the governance of our lives over to someone else who can do it. That is very hard to do. I want to share with you up front that this is a classic text about the the government of Jesus Right, uh, For unto us a, a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. It's, it's Christmas in July. That is a, ch- a text, right? Isaiah 9. That's a, a Christmas Advent text. But I thought in our series that this might work, particularly because it comes from one of the books of the prophets. And you can't talk about Jesus in the Old Testament without mentioning uh, the prophets who who saw him not as clearly as we do, but they saw a redeemer. And uh, I think the goal here today is that our, our collective quest would be a growing appreciation, a growing embrace that our solution is so desperate we need new management. We need new supervision. We need to welcome it, appreciate it, and receive it. So those are sort of the key words. Welcome it, appreciate it, and receive it. And what will, we, what will we receive? We will receive order and peace and something that will work for us. And so uh, our personal quests can be surrendered. Uh, personal quests for peace can be surrendered to God. So uh, the first thought here is welcoming the son's good government, welcoming the son's good government. Now, we are in the book of Isaiah. I think Isaiah is, I just, I really like him. I think he would have been a very difficult person to encounter (laughs) because he was really, really sort of a regal kind of, there was a quality, there's a quality about him that is just no nonsense. I'm sure that's true of all the prophets. Isaiah is kind of a panoramic prophet. He is able to see minute details like like the the kinds of jewelry women were wearing. And he can also then see into the furthest distance in history. He can go from a small little ornament to the end of the ages. It's crazy. His amazing book. Isaiah uh, is a prophet who who speaks before a tragic event happens. In fact, when you think about your Bible, it's probably the biggest event in the Old Testament. 
And you might think, well, creation's a big event. <laughs> or you might think, Noah's, Noah's flood, that, that's a big event. And so, yeah, I have to say this might not be able to match those two big events. But this one's big. It's the time in which God turns over his judgment of his own people to other nations. And it's a time when God actually boots his own people out of his city, Jerusalem. It's called the exile. And there are prophets who come before the exile. There are prophets who come during the exile. And there are prophets who come after the exile. So to get oriented to Isaiah is a little bit tricky because Isaiah is speaking before the exile. He's warning about the exile, but he's also giving hope on the other side of the exile. And so in the book of Isaiah, what we have is he is addressing two groups of people. And this is a little bit confusing for us to figure this out, but it's fairly simple. What happens after Solomon's reign is uh, there is a group of rebels who go to the north, and they are called Israel, the northern kingdom. Ten tribes. There's two other tribes that hang around Jerusalem and call that their home base, and they are called Judah. And so these are the two entities that, the two areas and people groups that the prophets are speaking to. So you'll have one prophet, he'll speak to Judah. Another prophet will speak to Israel in the north. Well, Isaiah speaks to both of them. And so as you're watching and reading along in Isaiah, you'll look at, oh, wait a minute, now chapter 5, he's talking about Israel here. Well, wait a minute, chapter 8, he's now moved to Judah. And he's moving up and down or up to, do, to, to, to these, these two groups. And what he's doing mostly is warning Judah Look what's happening to Israel in the north. And what's happening in Israel in the north is they have become a vassal state. They have become essentially, well, not, that's even being, give, giving it too much. They have become overrun by this massive kingdom empire called Assyria. And Isaiah is warning the south saying, look, look what they did, how they turned away from the living God, the idols they worshipped. The things they did, and they would not listen to the prophets. Judah, Judah, listen, lest this happen to you. Well, in our text here, it it happened to them. That means that God's judgment came through another nation. And Isaiah 9, 1 through 5, is describing some of that judgment, some of that gloom some of the bad things that were happening. And the key concept is the land was seen as a contemptuous place. It was contemptible. It was an awful place. No one esteemed the area around Jerusalem anymore. Jerusalem was ransacked. It was a mess. And gloom was over Judah. Now, Isaiah has already moved hundreds of years into the future in this small little passage. But he's also setting up reasons to welcome the son's good government. And what is unfolding in the Bible is a clearer and clearer picture 
of the Redeemer who is going to come. So it's exciting stuff. It is good stuff. But the land has been thrust into darkness in chapter 8. The land has become a place where no one esteems. The land of Zebulun and Nephtali. It sounds like a Lord of the Rings movie. The land of Zebulun and Nephtali. I don't think you run into anyone in the mall from Zebulun or Nephtali. But here's the deal. This land should rejoice because the gloom is over. The days of being sorrowful are over. Now for them, this would have been the Babylonian exile. When the Babylonians came in 586 B.C., and that was the third attack of the Babylonians. And they came in and they burst through the walls of Jerusalem and they ransacked and destroyed the temple. And the Babylonians came and they made Judah a, a vassal state and they took many into exile. And the land was, again, just a wasteland. It was, it was a place that no one wanted anymore But God is saying that he has made in chapter 9, verse 1, a glorious way back to experiencing his salvation, and it will happen through Galilee. And out of the blue, some 850 years B.C., we now have the mention of this place that we're familiar with in the New Testament where Jesus ministers and comes from, as it were, the sea, of, the, the sea beyond the Jordan, the Galilee, and it's called Galilee of the Nations. God has a plan for the nations. Now, what will it be like when God comes to, to, to shine upon this, this once dark place? What's it like? Well, it will be like God multiplying the nation. And that's a sign of blessing when a nation's growing. Well, it's really talking about the remnant, that small group of people who really believed that a Redeemer was coming, and they would rejoice with great joy. And you think about that small band of people in the New Testament, those early chapters of your Bible, of of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those early chapters, there are people rejoicing because they see the unfolding drama coming to a conclusion in the birth of Jesus Christ. The oppression, the oppression of sin and death is now being lifted in the one that Jesus, in in Jesus Christ. So for them back then, Judah's oppression would be the days of Babylon are gone and the days of them being not regarded are over and now they are They're the centerpiece, the epicenter of God's activity. And so for us, the call is to welcome the Son's good government. And to get there, we have to acknowledge that our self-government, Israel's self-government, Judah's self-government, was an utter failure. I cannot, if we just take a direct application for our own lives, the only way I'll really rejoice in this bright news, this good news, is to acknowledge that my own self-governance has not, I have not done well. I have not obeyed or kept within the boundaries of God's law, done his will. They were in trouble and they couldn't save themselves. In fact, um, it says here that in verse 2, 9 verse 2, it says, the people who walked in darkness 
walking in darkness. They're walking in the shadow of death. They can't get out of it. They do not have the, the military might. They don't have the resources to fix this problem. And for us, the same thing is true. Only God can deliver us. We don't have the resources, the ability to govern ourselves out of the problem that we are in. The trouble of our lives is not just that we need a better life. We need deliverance. And if we haven't quite got it yet, look at verse 4. The yoke of his burden. Now, this would be referring to the Babylonian oppression. This could be referring to the, the invading army's oppression. The yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of, look at the end of verse 4, the end of verse, uh, uh, as, as in the days of Midian. That refers to one of the leaders of Israel at the time in the book of Judges, Gideon. And he goes up against the Midianites, and he has a tiny, tiny number of of men to fight. The odds are low. The odds are against them that they'll be successful. But when they defeat the Midianites, there is great rejoicing because there's no way they could take credit for it. So it is with the salvation God is going to bring. It will seem like God himself is outnumbered. It will feel like there's no way you can, we, can, we can get this done with what God supplies. In fact, it's so great what God's going to do. We should be welcoming God's good government through his son. It, we should be welcoming it so well that Isaiah says this, that even the machinery of warfare, the, 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 the bloody armory or the, the cloaks that they would wear in battle, all the, the sorrow of warfare will be brought to a conclusion when this government arrives. So in verse 5, we have very strange language here. For, and this is the excitement. You can sense Isaiah's excitement. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult. It's strange. I got boots and I got noise. It's sort of strange. And every garment... And again, that would be what they'd wear out into the, into the you know, sort of those cloaks that some, sometimes they would wear. Rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. So, whoa. And Isaiah loves imagery moving this, this way and that. What he's, done, what he's just done in that moment is he's, he has said that this, what's about to break into the world, will ultimately stop war itself. And of course, this is going to be Jesus when he comes in his kingdom of glory. Now, I'm anticipating something incredible, some massive army at this point. Who can pull this off but, but something massive and great and extraordinary? But keeping with the theme of smallness, a small event, a small band of men in Gideon's day, Isaiah breaks forth and says, here's the great news. Verse 6. Uh, for, for to us, and this is, here's the birth announcement, for unto us a, a child is born. There it is. That, 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 that's, that's what's un, unfolding. I don't mean to mock this. This is a big deal. Isaiah is saying it was always going to be about one man. 
the Bible unfolds, and at critical moments, it comes down to one man. Uh, comes down to Noah. Comes down to Abraham. Uh, comes down to Joseph. I'm going through the book of Genesis there. Comes down to Moses. Comes down to key leaders during the, the time of the judges. Comes down to, say, Samuel. Comes down to David, right? Well, this is the unfolding mystery. It's a he. It's the son. The oppression will be lifted because the son is going to bring his government. Now, our oppression, our oppression is not because there is a foreign army that has taken over uh, where we live. Uh, And I'm glad for that. Our oppression comes mostly from, I would say, within. The things that we want desperately in our lives, the things that we want to control, the things that we want to work for us. We are a unique generation that has very high expectations about how life should be. And I'm going to suggest that it's a kind of brutal oppression that we place ourselves under. It's a self-government. It's a way of governing ourselves. I admit this myself. It's hard to turn one's life and say, Lord, you are the, you are the wiser one. You can govern my life better than I can. And I, I, I just have to say... As long as I've been in ministry, I have to say, I think I'm just, just beginning to learn that I am not that wise. I don't have that many resources. Have I governed my life that well up to this point? And, well, I sort of hear angels laughing at this point. Just, and I think progress in welcoming the son's good government starts with acknowledging that I have not done well and all I really do is oppress myself. I just look within myself. You know, um, I have been impressed with our prison ministry. Uh, Just a few of you are involved with it. But they... There's a point when uh, the women in this prison ministry uh, who are incarcerated are getting close to getting out. And um, Marianne is involved with discipling and training women in a curriculum that's called Total Life Recovery. How about that? How about that for a statement of the gospel? (laughs) Total Life Recovery. And you know, um, I am aware in a, on a second, secondary basis, I could, wouldn't know these women, their names, or if I saw them on the street, I wouldn't know who they are. But I am aware that when these women are released, before they go, if they've been part of this total life recovery, they are to meet with a counselor and to work through the faults beliefs 
that have oppressed them all their life. They are to be brutally honest with themselves about how they treated others, demanded from others what they wanted, and they have to admit, essentially, that in trying to become free, they became enslaved. And that's the story of Israel, and that's the story of Judah. They sought to be free, and they became enslaved. And the call for us is to repent of our self-governance. You will not get out of your situation by someone else improving. You will not get out of your situation by a better church, a better spouse, a better house, better kids, or people who love you. You will get out of your situation because of the grace of God that announces that a son has been born. We are to welcome this. We are to welcome this son's good government and to work at it. This means getting up, starting your day, saying, Lord, I want to welcome your government. I don't naturally want it. I don't think I need it. I've got plans today. In fact, yesterday I did pretty good. And my boss thinks I did pretty good. In fact, everybody thinks I'm okay. In fact, I'm getting a promotion. In fact, much of my life is going pretty well. You see, here's the deception. Is, were there moments in Israel's history that things went pretty well? Yeah. Judah's history? Sure. But they had violated boundaries and... The call for us is to openly welcome the son's good government. Isaiah is saying, this is it. This will be your redemption. For unto us a child is born. So secondly, we're called to appreciate the son's good government. The day is coming when God will permanently establish a government. Do you think of the Christian life as that, uh, in th- that way? A government when we call Jesus Lord of Lords, King of Kings, do, do you realize we are saying that is his right over us? And uh, it's an unearned gift. It's an announcement of a child that is a surprise child. Uh, there are more than one uh, surprise children in the Bible, uh, but Jesus is the ultimate one. And he, he comes to us in terms of a gift. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He comes to us in a very different way than we would imagine a government coming to us. Imagine um, imagine a new government is installed. Right? Uh, some, for us, that's strange as Americans. We just think of, well, a new president. But a whole new government, well, that would be quite shocking whole new constitution, whole new books, on the, uh, books of law and law and law. When you, when you think of government, I mean, I think of the DMV. Well, I don't know. What a personable place. Sorry, if you work at the DMV, I, I like you. Uh, by the way, when I go to the DMV, I know you're interested in this. Um, 
when I go to the DMV, I go. I do a reconnaissance trip first. In other words, I just go and I said, "Now I'm going to come back," and they look at me, and I said, "Now I'm going to come back and I'm going to bring a title in." And so, what do I need to have on this? How's it work? So then I take notes. All right, I'll be back. Then the second trip is smooth. How you doing, Shirley? Great. I was just here. Here it is. Are you ready? Brace. Here it is. And I have everything there. I like the DMV. We work together. <laughs> but wouldn't you be excited about a new government? Isn't that something? I mean, if you ever, have you ever thought about that? All the laws. Think about all the laws. Yeah. New government. Hmm. Let's read about this new government. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called, and now here it is, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Where are the laws? That doesn't say that God isn't concerned about laws. That's the most unusual kind of government you could ever imagine because it's so very personable. Those are all wonderful things to say about, about our Savior. You see, the surprising thing that we are called to appreciate about the new government is its deeply personal nature. You see, if it just came with law, here's what you would do. You would say, okay, what do I got to do to get this law completed, not be found guilty, and get you off my back? We tend not to hang around government offices longer than we need to. Would you say that? Those of you who work for the government, you just hang around for fun in the lounge there, in the waiting room, when you're done and they've stamped all your paperwork, do, are, you, are you done? You're done. And if I never had to co- have to come in here again, that would be great. Right? That's not anything near what this is. This is, I don't want to get this person off my back. I want to explore them. I want to welcome them. I want to learn more about them. This is, this is, this is drawing me in. Oh, it's wonderful. And so his first name is, is, is wonderful. Wonderful. I have come down from heaven, Jesus says, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father that, Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. This is his wonder. He thinks about us in the shadow of death, and he says, I have come after you, and I will raise you up. Mary and the others who were part of that remnant understood his wonder Great enemies were about to be defeated through the, this son. It described here as a counselor. Uh, the idea here is that God does things so well that uh, your advice is not needed. That, that's the idea. When God is seen as a counselor, the idea is that he does everything so well, there's nothing left for us to say. 
And if you've ever had those moments, perhaps in worship, where you say, this is so good, this is so right, this is so wonderful, I don't even think these words are working. You've entered into the wonder and his counseling ability. That means that he can counsel you with words of redemption that are for your soul. And you thought you needed something else, but it was for your soul. And it caused you to spring to life. Romans 11.33, the Apostle Paul has been speaking uh, so long on the gospel and so wonderfully about it. He says, Romans 11.33, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgment, his counsel, and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor? You see, When we get it, we stop giving God advice. We stop thinking about how he's not managing things well. He has sent someone who is the accomplishment of redemption. And he has done that so well. You see, I would encourage you to sit quietly and Work on this. Sit quietly. Get the noise out of your head. Let God have the last word with you on a regular basis. I have lots of ideas about my life. I am consumed with ideas about uh, my life, our church, what we could do, what we are. I am busy in my mind. How about you? Does God get the last word with you? Can he counsel you on what's really going on in the universe? And what would it be like if he got through? And then mighty God. It's really describing another way of translating is God the hero warrior. Oh, God doesn't deny that a warrior is needed to to fight, and he does fight, but he fights with, with weapons of mercy and with the body of his son. And then the, the beautiful, beautiful phrase here, the everlasting father. This is ascribed to Jesus because he extends the father's love so well. He is the ageless father, the government that never tires and it never grows old. And then, of course, the prince of peace. Well, what are we supposed to do with this particular passage here? This announcement in verse 6, the the government is on his shoulders. Well, um, came across this from a book called Leaders Who Last. And the author illustrates uh, the movie Spider-Man 2. And uh, Peter Parker, remember Peter Parker? And Spider-Man is busy fixing the city's problems. And I don't know if you recall in the movie, but Spider-Man gets burned out. He can't maintain his romance. He really can't maintain his job. And he is frazzled, chasing the bad guys. And he comes to this point of exhaustion. Even a superhero gets tired. I wonder if we are in that story. I wonder if 
this government is so real and so good and so able, I wonder if we now need to just let that government do its work and stop all the busyness that doesn't really relate to um, ourselves, the need for ourselves to trust in this government and let things go. Let things that we are not directly responsible for, let them go. Are you addicted, use that word carefully, to fixing others, fixing circumstances? Are you constantly finding yourself exhausted? Are there shoulders for you in Jesus Christ? Does Jesus speak personally to you And does he tell you that he is taking care of your life? Matthew 11, 27, come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden. Well, what's that about? That's self-governance. That's trying to live uh, and uh, uh, obey God's laws. And it's, 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 it's becoming overwhelming and you realize you can't. Come unto me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And Jesus says, Matthew eleven twenty seven and 28, my yoke, my yoke, my government is easy. So appreciating, appreciating the government of our Lord Jesus is to acknowledge that we need to realize there are boundaries and there are borders and there are things we can do and there are things we are responsible for and then there are things that we are not. You have a redeemer. You don't have someone who is just a, ta- a taskmaster telling you to do more and more, but he's saying to you, I have done it all. Live out of the fullness of what I have accomplished. And then lastly, look at verse 7, which informs us to receive the son's good government. Look at verse 7. Of the increase of his government... And there'd be some doubt. Maybe this is just going to be a temporary thing. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and underline forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So the son has a government. And it's already being expressed in the life of the church. And here's an application for you. Don't keep this government uh, at, a, at an arm's length. Embrace it. Uh, we'd love for you to uh, explore becoming a member of Trinity Church, experiencing directly uh, and lovingly uh, the care that God has provided for you. You can go join uh, the, the care of Jesus Christ uh, in small groups in the church. You can come and pray for the government of Jesus Christ to, be, to, be, to expand other people. You can pray for missions, missionaries, for our community. You can join our prayer group that meets on Sunday mornings and other times. You can go and be with non-believers in order to enjoy them, embrace them, uh, be there for when their life is not working for them, and begin conversations about 
the son's good government. And one of the things about this growing government, and it's going to keep growing and growing, and we believe in a very hopeful uh, kingdom that's growing. Jesus described the kingdom in all these organic pictures of, of, of growth. It includes this, this growing. It's going to become such a beautiful kingdom that it will arrive on this earth in perfection. And it, that will be our joy through all eternity. And so um, one of the tasks that we have is to make this a deep desire of our life to enjoy the perfection of this government. Um, This is coming to us in big events like the resurrection of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus. Those are big events. But the government of Jesus comes in small events. Romans 15, 14 Paul said, I'm convinced that you are able to admonish one another. In other words, that's another word could translate encourage, meaning you come alongside someone and you have words for them that they need to hear. You may not necessarily want to hear them, but they are important. It is part of the governing care of Jesus Christ. And of course, the kingdom and the church are very closely connected. The governance of Jesus is happening through his church. And of course, the church is not perfect, but we look to the perfect one. The church in history has had many, many failures, many, many problems. We don't look to the church for the perfection. And of course, this government is underway as God brings new life to you, causing you to be born again, regenerated. Then you move into expressing faith in God and you're justified. And then you move into the whole world of being set apart or sanctified. And finally, the government, as as you experience the the end of this life, you enter into the fullness of his governing care and you see Christ, the one who has loved your soul, and you've entered into glory itself. So this all came at a price. This all came at a price. This beautiful personal kingdom comes to us at a great price. Jesus experienced the gloom, a much darker gloom than Israel and Judah ever did. Jesus experienced the judgment of God. Jesus was exiled. He was exiled from the presence of the Father on the cross. He came after those who thought they could self-govern their way to utopia. That's how Adam started That is the core problem of mankind, autonomy. And he came as one to rescue us from our own devices. So here we are. Let's deeply worship our King, our Lord, the one who has great shoulders, strong shoulders, the one who has established his kingdom among us. May we become a a community of worshiping people who embrace this, explore it, struggle with it, but grow in our deep appreciation for it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the care structure that you have brought us under. Father, we would not have thought of this. And we thank you for your, the brilliance of your plan. Who among us can be your counselor? Who among us can give you advice? 
And so we lift our praise to you. Father, may it be said of you that you do all things well. And we thank you for reminding us from Isaiah today how faithful you are to your plan. In Christ's name, amen.